This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jonathan Mayo, Jim Callis left us out in the cold. He's on vacation, holiday time, no Jim Callis. But we're going to replace him with one of the top high school draft prospects in the land. That is Max Clark. I think this is a fair trade, don't you, Jonathan? It's pretty good. I don't know. Maybe Max Clark kind of makes Jim the Wally Pip of the Pipeline podcast. Wow. Pipeline Pip. Jim Callis and you know Jim Pipeline Pip. I love it. Jim told us last week that he was a no-tool player in, when he was in high school, and, and right. Max is a five-tool player, so we've upgraded five tools right there. So, yeah, I think you're right. We don't even really need Jim anymore. Uh, wow. No, that's not true. But uh, Max Clark, an outstanding interview. You've, we've talked to him several times. Uh, first time being on the podcast. Uh, you will want to stick around and hear from Max. He is outstanding. Uh, we are also, we're talking to him uh, largely because we just put out our top 100 draft prospects list for the 2023 draft. Uh, that got us thinking about uh, who were who were the best draft prospects on our draft prospects list since we started putting them out. We started putting them out back in 2011, and uh, we started giving out tool grades on those draft prospect lists in 2014. Uh, so going back and looking at, you know, who ranked highest on those lists and who had the best t- tool grades and the best future value overall grades on that list uh, enables us to kind of look back and look at the draft prospect team of the decade. Uh, so we're going to do that, look at who the best draft prospects were over the past decade, talk a little bit about guys who have gone on uh, to become the best draftees in that time period in the big leagues, and then also kind of look ahead to some recent draft picks who could surpass those players. Uh, Then we'll talk to Max Clark, and then we'll wrap up, as we always do, with a question from the mailbag. So, Jonathan, the top 100 draft prospects list, we talked about this on last week's podcast episode, is out. Uh, You and Jim feverishly working over the past month or so and i know it extends well beyond that that you've been you know watching these players and talking to people about these players we actually put out our very first uh mock draft in july of last year we always do that at the conclusion of the uh current year's draft we look ahead to the next year and do a top 10 um tell us tell us a little bit about the the process because as i said it goes all the way back you know, not that you were really dug into the 2023 draft class uh, back in July of 2022, um, but scouts certainly have been. Uh, but what what is what is the process like for you and Jim as you uh, put this list together? Yeah, I think 
you know, we do that story at the end of the that year's draft. It's kind of a, a nice bookend, but we're obviously uh, it's too early even in the summer to to get a strong sense of the best players. One thing that has helped is that there are more and more teams who have scouts who are dedicated to evaluating underclassmen so they can hit the ground running. You know, let me let me sort of explain how it works from a, the scouting standpoint because the area scouts who are kind of the bread and butter, you know, the glue of all of this, uh, you know, they, they finish up for, for a draft class, a draft happens, they have to get guys signed, but they, they're getting going on building follow lists for the next year's draft class, in this case, 2023. And those are the lists that they will, you know, continue to build over the summer and then fall ball, especially in college uh, to help prioritize uh, who needs to get seen when and by whom, you know, do they need cross checkers to come in? Do they need national scouts? Do they need scouting directors? Is this the kind of first round pick the general manager should come see? Um, all that can change, of course, as the spring goes on, but they, they build a follow list and prioritize so people can be ready. And we do that to, you know, a, a lesser extent and, uh, you, you know, when we talked to Max Clark, we talk, we'll talk a bunch about the PDP league. That's something that we cover pretty closely. Uh, there's the high school all American game that major league baseball does now and around the all-star break. So we'll follow all, all those events. And then I think the, the first time like Jim and I really kind of dig into it is I have typically done, uh, the high school list. So at the end of the summer showcase circuit, here are the best, 20 or 25 or whatever arbitrary number we come up with, uh, you know, high school talent for next year's draft class. And Jim will do the college uh, group. And that's, you know, largely based on the Cape Cod League and Team USA. And that helps us sort of kickstart us into starting to put together our top 100. So I was just looking back at that first mock draft that you did in July um, and it's, it's pretty interesting because almost everyone, and I know, you know, every year it comes with the giant caveat that is way too early to do a mock draft, but it's more, it's more that we're just looking at the top guys in the next year's class and we just mm-hmm. put them into a mock format. Um, but you know, as early as July of last year, you had Dylan Cruz one, he's one on the new top 100 list. Jacob Gonzalez was two, uh, Mississippi shortstop. He's five on the list. Chase Dolander was three, and he's number two on the list. Max Clark was number four. He's number six on the list. Walker Jenkins was number five, and he's number seven on the list. So uh, Consistent. Yeah. Uh, now, Will Sanders was number six back in July, and he's dropped to uh, number 20, or I'm sorry, number 18 on the list. That's the first instance where there's... Uh, a good amount of disparity between July and and the list uh, now in December, but uh, yeah, pretty pretty consistent, I guess. You know, and it, I would say that maybe it makes sense because yeah, I guess you can't really say that it makes sense because not a lot has happened since then, uh, or or can you? Does is that why not a whole heck of a lot has happened since then? Right by by July, and I you know, and remember, I did talk to couple of people who were focusing on under underclassmen so they had a good sense by july there had been a couple of high school events 
uh, you know, PG National, PDP League. Um, it was before Area Code Games or East Coast Pro Showcase. Uh, we'd had the high school also game. So there'd been some, and the college stuff had been ongoing for a bit. So I feel like there was like a, a sense of who they were, and other guys sort of have bought, jumped up. Um, you know, I mentioned f- the fall. Uh, and with any of these things, you, you don't want to put too much weight into it. Now, when we're putting together these lists in general, it's all going to be about what they did in the in the summer, uh, you know, largely. Uh, and, and then in the fall, if they were good the previous spring, they may have put their name on the map, but the scouting industry isn't really focusing on them. There are several guys who are higher up on our list now. Uh, Paul Skeens, who transferred to, to LSU, even Wyatt Langford at Florida, moved way up because they had a really, really strong uh, falls. Uh, Hurston Waldrop of Florida also you know, took a nice jump up because of what they did in the fall. It's a small sample size for sure, uh, but that's why you know, when we put out the top 100 and then you know, <laughs> I did the full first-round mock draft after that, th- there is the understanding that it is going to change and change a lot. All right, so Jonathan, the this year's top 100 list is out. And as I said, uh, that got us kind of thinking about some of the best draft prospects of all time. And what we want to do here is assemble our draft prospect team of the decade. And we're using using the term decade kind of loosely here. Uh, <laughs> because, as I said before, we started putting out our top, top draft prospects list in 2011. Um, started uh, applying tool grades to the players on those lists in 2014. Um, and so we want to go back and put this team together. And, the, you know, these lists were reflective of how these players were viewed by the industry as draft prospects. So let's uh, let's start at the catching position, uh, which is, I think, it's fair to say that is generally one of the, well, has has been a weaker position as far as draft prospects go and this one seems like a bit of a runaway yeah i i i I think it it is you know even though adley rushman has been only up for one year i don't think there's any question about who the top catching draft catching prospect has been and really you can make the strong argument that he's been the best performer, even though it's only been one year. And if you're going to pick a guy going forward, it's got to be him. I made a little note about Will Smith. He, he deserves a tip of the cap uh, because I think he's probably been the most product, productive to date, at least according to war. But that's not going to last. Uh, you know, Russian was going to catch him. He may catch him next year. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he kind of, Runs run, runs the board in terms of best you know thought of catching prospect at at the time uh, performance now and long term you know there isn't anybody else I would pick other than Adley Rushman would you, you wouldn't take anybody else would you no and I, I wish I could do a good Jim Callis impersonation right now because I would mine my memory uh, for my story that I wrote on is Rushman the best number one uh, since Harper in which Jim talked about uh, asking veteran scouts to identify the top amateur backstops since 
MLB went to a single draft format in 1987. As Jim took it back, he said, you know, Rutschman is not just the best catching prospect in the 2019 draft or in the past decade. And he said when he talked to these scouts, um, the consensus pointed to Rutschman over Posey and even Joe Maurer. So, yeah, I think uh, Rutschman, like you said, the, the clear yeah. uh, choice for the top catching draft prospect of the past decade and, and probably well beyond that. Um, and yeah, there, there just haven't been in, in that period, there haven't been that many catchers who were drafted that were top draft prospects who have, who have gone on to a whole lot of success in the big leagues. Um, all right. First base. Uh, who would you say in this time period was the best uh, draft prospect that we've seen. I know there are a few names to consider here. Right. I think if you're just talking about kind of hype and what, you know, what was thought of them at the time, it, it's got to be Spencer Torkelson. Um, you know, it was such a huge offensive performer, um, you know, and had a huge year in as a sophomore at Arizona State that went out and hit – Three. I mean, it was a small sample size. It played a handful of games in the Cape Cod League. He hit there, and then obviously 2020 was uh, the shutdown, and he hit a ton there. Uh, even though he never got pitched to, um, he's not you know put it together uh, as a big leaguer. But given who he was and he's how young he still is. I mean, I, I still have faith that he's going to figure it out, but I, I think he's got to be the guy who's the, 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 the most highly thought of first baseman that we've had in quite some time. Yeah. If you look at the players by their overall grades, um, when we rank them, other first base uh, draft prospects with 60 overall grades or McKay and Vaughn. And I think it's uh, safe to say you go with Torkelson over those guys. I think so. I mean, Torkelson and Vaughn, I think there are some similarities, but I, th- I still think I would give Torkelson the, the slight edge there. And then as far as draftees that have gone on to be the best in the big leagues in that time period, who are you looking at there? Yeah, I think uh, the guy that really stood out when we were looking at this is, is what Matt Olson has been able to do. And, you know, he was a uh, Taken a little further on the number forty-seven overall pick in in twenty twelve, uh, you know he's you know a, a power guy, but he's been a consistent power guy, uh, and uh, you know he's up to a twenty-one and a half WAR now, uh, coming off a year where he hit thirty you know thirty-four homers, uh, he's had three seasons of thirty or more. Um, you know uh, this was his first year with Atlanta, obviously this this past year, but. Uh, he, he has become a very, very good power hitting first baseman who's won a couple gold gloves to, to boot. So I, I think he's, he's the guy who, you know, he's, he's had a good amount of time in the big leagues too, to sort of pad the stats, so to speak. But, um, I think that he is the one who stands out the most. And do you, do you recall, was he in the top 100 draft prospects list? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that's going back because uh, that was 2012 right 2012 yeah um so i i i'm not 100 percent sure 
but he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been in the conversation for one of the most highly regarded first base draft prospects of the past decade. I don't I don't think so. No, um, looking on our site now at our 2012 draft, and Matt Olson is not was not on the list, which was only a top 50 list at the, at the time. Yes, uh, right. So right. Is there any recent draftee? Uh, that you would feel confident saying that you think will surpass Olsen as the top draftee from the past decade? Yeah, confident? Uh, no. But Tristan Cassis is the one. You know, he's 2018 draft class. He just made it up to the big leagues. You know, hasn't done much of anything. He's only got 76 at-bats so far. He'd be the one that I would keep an eye on, but... You know, the more I think about it, Jason, Matt Olson was like coming off his age 28 year, like he, he still has a lot left. So I might still stick with uh, with Matt Olson. But if I were going to pick a guy who was like just coming up, and you know, one of the things that's tough with this position is sometimes you have guys who were drafted as, you know, at another position end up at first base and end up putting up big numbers. And, you know, we don't know what's going to transpire in that regard but the you know i don't think there's anybody and there isn't anybody in this upcoming draft class you know one of the things that we were looking at is is there anybody in this 2023 draft class we're like wow you know once he gets into pro ball i could see him being the best at this position and there are not any first basemen you know now who look like they would be that kind of player okay moving on to second base um I think we had a very recent draftee that, uh, looking back through all of our lists over the past decade plus, uh, is probably the most highly regarded we've seen in that time period. Yeah, I mean, Tamar Johnson, we gave out what we gave him a 70 hit tool. And I remember saying at the time that, uh, you know, he's maybe one of the best pure high school hitters we've ever seen. And we don't, we don't give out seventies for, for those tools. You know, you may see a 70 arm or, or 70 fastball or 70 speed, but we do not give out sevens for the hit tool. And he can really, really hit, um, you know, pirate fans haven't really gotten a chance to see much of it yet, you know, over a summer debut, they're going to in 2023. Uh, so he, yeah, he's as exciting a unoffensive second base prospect is we've had come come out of the draft again knowing that that's a position often guys are shortstops who move over to second base and as tamar johnson was you know he played short in high school but he he, he will be a second baseman yeah and you you mentioned we don't give out 70 hit tools we actually have never had never given mm-hmm. out a 70 hit tool uh for a draft prospect prior to tamar johnson so uh yeah, that is certainly saying something. Um, and then as far as the draftee dating back to 2011, who's been the best in the big leagues, who you got there? That's Colton Wong. Uh, you've got to give your Cardinals a little love, right? Um, he, you know, he had such a huge year in his draft year um, back in 2011, coming out of the University of Hawaii. Uh, I, he hit over 400. I'm trying to find what exactly, you know, when exactly he hit um, in, in that draft year. Uh, no, I stand corrected. He ends up hitting 378, but he had an OPS over 1,000. And he landed in the first round and, you know, and then moved pretty quickly 
touched the big leagues in 2013, and then 2014 was kind of the the everyday uh, everyday guy at second base. And you know, he, it's not like he's been a spectacular big leaguer. Um, you know, he's won a couple Gold Gloves, and got Rookie of the Year votes back in 2014, but he's been a steady performer. Um, you know, now with the with the Brewers, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, uh, moves around a little bit defensively, uh, but you know, it says put together almost 23 WAR over the over the course of what's been a a solid big league career. Okay, moving on to third base. Some interesting considerations here. Um, third baseman who have ranked highest on our top draft prospects list over the years dating back to 2011, Anthony Rendon, all the way back in. 2011 was the number two prospect on our list. Then a couple years later, Chris Bryant was number three. Um, Last year, Jacob Berry was number four. Um, He actually, I believe, had the highest overall grade of any of those three guys. Uh, But Jonathan, the the grades over the year, there's some uh, inconsistency, right, from 2011 through 2023 as to how grades have been applied no without without question you know not going back in some time machine how we discuss grades but i we didn't give out overall 65s back then like i think chris bryant i would think would have gotten the same if not higher overall grades as jacob berry um, in fact, I would almost be sure of it. I mean, he was a guy who was in serious consideration for the number one pick. Um, you know, huge college career. Obviously, made it to the big leagues in a hurry. Uh, we didn't know that at the time when we were grading him. But I think if we were to go back and redo some of those, we probably would uptick some of the guys at the very top of the list. And it's only been recent that we've been giving out you know, the overall sixty fives, and we try not to do it too much. Uh, because obviously that's a, a special level of player that we're projecting is going to be a, a big league all-star, but that's kind of what people thought Chris Bryant would be when he was coming out in his draft year. All right, uh, let's move on to shortstop, and there are a bevy mm-hmm. of players there. This is you know, pretty much the sexiest position when it comes to draft prospects, although uh, the only number one overall draft prospect do you know who it was uh that was a shortstop overall number one so ranked number one on our on our list yep um dansby swanson you know i have him down here as number two was he number one i, I no, i'm guessing i don't I'm, okay um <laughs> yeah so i was it was that was just a, a guess oh you know what uh he was number two because this was actually the same year Oh, that was Brendan Rodgers. High school. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Who now, of course, is a gold glove second baseman, so I kind of forgot, which is ridiculous that I forgot that he was a shortstop. But, yeah. Shortstops. Uh, we, we had a ton of shortstops ranking the top five overall. Brendan Rodgers, the only number one. He and Swanson, one and two in 2015. Other number twos have been Bobby Witt Jr., Jordan Lawler in 2019 and 2021. Matt McClain was number three. In 2021 as well. Alex Bregman, uh, number four in 2015. C.J. Abrams, number four in 2019. Carlos Correa was number five in 2012. Other number fives, Nick Gordon, Royce Lewis, Nick Gonzalez, and Brooks Lee. Out of all of those elite draft prospects that were shortstops dating back to 2011, who would you say was the most highly regarded? 
I gave a slight edge to to Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, you know, it's splitting hairs maybe a little bit. You probably could make an argument for a bunch of those guys that you uh, point out. I mean, you know, Brendan Rodgers was pretty hyped. You know, he was the top of our board at the time. Um, you know, another guy who was in that number one, eventually in the number one spot contention. So he continued to, to maintain that. But I think if it weren't for Adley Rushman, uh, you know, people would be talking a lot more about Bobby Witt, not just because of the, the, the you know, the son of the big leaguer thing, but just a, the combination of tools and the energy with which he played the game. And he, he was a, you know, a kind of generational kind of prospect um, and, you know, who's already making a name for himself as a high school player from that draft class who just, you know, spent his rookie year. And there are some things he needs to learn, but he also showed off a lot of why people were so high on him. And there are quite a few shortstops who've been drafted in this time period that have gone on, gone on to a lot of success in the big leagues, including uh, Carlos Correa, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, Bregman, of course, has slid over uh, to third. Uh, but Francisco Lindor was number nine on our 2011 uh, top 50 draft prospects list. Trey Turner was number 14. Correa, Lindor, Turner. Corey Seager was number 22 on our 2012. Now, a lot of guys who have really performed. You got to pick one. Well, I mean, Correa's been the best, I think, in terms of amassing the numbers. And then, you know, especially. People kind of look back at it a little differently, like when he was drafted, uh, and seemed like huge surprise. Uh, but as you said, we had, he was highly ranked, um, but not as highly ranked as some of those other shortstops, and he's outperformed them. You know, I was surprised when we were looking that he's he's amassed more WAR than Lindor has, and he was drafted a year later. I think you know they're continuing to be productive players uh, and will continue to put up numbers. So we we, we may have to rethink this later on. Uh, but then I guess the question is, Jason, like, do you think any of these shortstop prospects will surpass what, whoever we pick? So I pick Correa. You know, I could see Bobby Witt going on to being, you know, quote unquote, better than Carlos Correa. But I'm kind of eyeing, I'm kind of eyeing someone from last year's draft class. Curious what your thoughts are, whether you think. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to uh, project someone who we have not seen prove himself yet uh, to be better than what we know Korea yep. already is. Yep. Uh, from last year's draft class, huh? Yeah. Well, I think that the highest ranked shortstop prospect from last year's draft class was Brooks Lee. Uh, is that who you have in mind? No, I'm thinking about the guy who went on to be the number one pick in the draft. Okay. I don't think Brooks Lee is going to end up playing shortstop in the big leagues. So I'm kind of just projecting that way also. I, I just think Jackson Holiday has a chance to be as you know better than Carlos Correa when all is said and done. That's my hot take. And I was looking at an early edition of our list, I think when it was just the top 100, and, it, it, and you recall yeah. that Jackson Holiday made such a huge leap up the board. He was number 52 at that time, uh, ended up at number two. So he was actually the high, highest Right, right. So, so people... Right. So people like understand the timing of this, you know, when we're discussing our process for putting out the, the list that we put out now, Jackson Holiday had a largely terrible summer. He just was off and never got in sync. But 
even when we ranked that list and we had him low, like the feedback we got was, you know what? He belongs right where you have him, but put a circle around him because he's going to get back to being who he was. And that's what he did. And then some. Okay. Moving on to the outfield. Uh, we've had a couple of prospects, uh, draft prospects, uh, number one draft prospects who were outfielders in 2012, Byron Buxton. And then last year, Drew Jones, uh, other very highly ranked outfield prospects, draft prospects, Austin Martin was number two in 2020. Kyle Lewis, number three in 2016. Uh, Elijah Green, last year. Uh, Clint Frazier, number four. Austin Meadows, number five, back in 2013. Um, Mickey Moniak, who was the number one overall pick in 2016, was number five on the list, as was J.J. Bladé in 2019. So all of those guys, highly rated draft prospects. And then this year, Dylan Cruz at the top of the list. Your three top outfield draft prospects of the past decade, Jonathan. This this is an embarrassment of riches in some way. There are a lot of good choices. I mean, Drew Jones has to be on there because I know that the as we discussed, our grading system has shifted a bit. But he's a sixty-five, and we haven't had a sixty-five at you know as an outfielder. So I think he's got to go on there, and I think he belongs on there just in terms of draft prospect, just because his combination of ceiling and floor. Are, are astounding and he's going to be an incredible player and then uh adding to this you know i think we'll put elijah green from last year and dylan cruz from this year um elijah green has as much if not more ceiling than anyone in last year's draft class and that's saying something because there were those high school players up the top but his ceiling is so high now there's l- less conviction or certainty just because there you know some holes in his game, but in terms of his five tool ability and potential, he belongs high up on the list. And Dylan Cruz, of course, is is number one on our uh, on our list right now, and um, you know that we just put out. And he hasn't separated himself from our top three of Chase Dolander, the, you know, the right-hander from Tennessee, and Wyatt Langford, the outfielder from Florida. They're the top three. But right now, there was a clear consensus that Dylan Cruz should be number one. All right. I'm a little surprised that you would go with Green over Buxton. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, hard hard to uh, compare 10 years apart. It, it is. And, and it, you know, one thing that's really hard, I guess Buxton was pretty hyped. And both as high school outfielders, you know, you can make a Buxton and Drew Jones. Are you, you're, you're talking me out of my, my decision. But Buxton belongs on the list of the outfielders who have performed the best you know, since they've made it to the big leagues. Yeah, so let's talk about those guys real quick. Buxton was, you know, very highly ranked on our draft prospects list. One of the guys uh, who you could certainly not not select uh, was not as highly ranked on our list. And I'm not sure where <laughs> you would go with your, your third outfielder here, but top three outfield draft prospects of the past decade uh, as far as who's gone on to the most success? Right. So, I mean, Buxton has been, I know, you know, sort of frustrating, maddening, because when he's healthy, uh, he's he's unbelievable on both sides of the ball, and he can do everything really, really well. He just has had a hard time staying on the field. And then the guy you're referring to is Aaron Judge, uh, who I think is doing okay for himself this offseason. 
uh, and is coming off just, you know an absolutely ridiculous season. He's having a, an incredible career, and I think he's going to continue to put up just ridiculous numbers as a guy who is not as highly ranked. And then the third guy is Kyle Tucker, who you know uh, this year I don't want to call it a breakout because I feel like he was starting to really figure it out. But you know, in terms of being nationally known and recognized. Um, I think the combination of uh, his regular season and their postseason run has put him much more firmly on the map. And he's still so young that, uh, you know, he has a chance to to put up some some pretty big numbers and, and be an, maybe an obvious choice for, for, the, for an outfield spot. Are you forgetting about Probably. <laughs> Are you forgetting about a uh, former outfield teammate of his, perhaps? George Springer? Oh, maybe. Some other, other names to consider. Springer, Benintendi, Nimmo, Brian Reynolds, all guys who were drafted over the past uh, decade or so and have gone on to big league success. But you, know, you, you can have Kyle Tucker. Uh, I'm going to take, you know what? I'm going to take Kyle Tucker. All right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with him. Um, you know, it's maybe, maybe a little bit of a, of a longer play, uh, you know, thinking about what he's going to continue to do, even though this is really guys who have done the best so far. Hmm. Yeah. You, you, you stuck with him. No, no. Cemented. Yep. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to go back. I'm, but now I'm going to like look at other names and think afterwards, man, maybe I, maybe I should have gone with. George Springer. They were both ranked number seven on our top draft prospects list, Springer and Tucker. Springer in 2011 out of UConn and Tucker out of Plant High School in Florida in 2015. Okay, pitchers, right-handed pitchers, some of the highest ranked right-handed pitchers ever on our top draft prospects list. We've had five number one overall draft prospects that were right-handed pitchers. Can you, How many of those can you name, Jonathan? I'll put you on the spot. Pipeline pop quiz. Um, Casey Mize. Ding. Um, you said it's five? Five since 2011. And one of them was in 2011. Tyler Kolick? Was he number one? He was not. He was number three. So I've already lost since 2011. Uh, Mark Appel? Mark Appel was one. So I've gotten two so far and already gotten one wrong. Number one right-handed pitchers. I you know you what? spent, I'm you spent quite a bit of time with one of them in in 2017 leading up to the draft. Oh, so now, now you're just completely leaning <laughs> into my lack of institutional memory. Yeah, all right. That what that one I'm referring to is Hunter Green. Right. Uh, the first one in 2011 was Garrett Cole. Yeah. And then Kumar Rocker was number one in 2021, and that uh, would account for the five. Mm-hmm. Now Rocker eventually ended up six on that list but at, at uh, when the list came out i believe was number one all right so among those guys and then we should mention that the only right-handed pitcher that ever got a 65 overall grade you mentioned tyler kolik he was number three on the 2014 list but he did get a 65 overall uh, so he was uh, quite hyped and obviously uh, did not live up to the expectations um, but we're just talking about these prospects as they were as draft draft prospects who would you say was the most hyped uh had the highest expectations of any of these right-handed pitching prospects 
You know, it's funny because we, we talked about Tyler Kolick, you know, uh, ahead of, of, of recording because of that 65 and, you know, high school. At the time, a high schooler throwing 100 was not something you saw regularly. Uh, and when we talk about any of all the pitching prospects, it shows you why some people think like, oh, there's no such thing as a real pitching prospect um, because of the injuries. But it's hard not to take Hunter Green, isn't it? I mean, you know, Sports Illustrated cover. Um, like he may be one of the most hyped draft prospects that we've had since Strasburg and and uh, and Bryce Harper. Uh, you know, just because he got a lot of recognition outside of amateur baseball draft focused circles. So I might say that Hunter Green belongs in that slot now. All right, and then as far as guys who have performed, draft prospects who have performed over the past decade? Well, I think you have to go with Garrett Cole. You know, Aaron Nola, tip of the cap. He's had a he's had a fine career, but I think especially given the fact that Garrett Cole was ranked number one, went number one, uh, and the the spotty track record of the, the picks that go number one overall, he is, while, you know, maybe he hasn't been a Hall of Fame every year with the Cy Young Award, he's been pretty good. So I'll, I'll give that, I'll give the edge to Garrett Cole. All right. And moving on to the left-handed pitchers, we've had a couple number one overall draft prospects who are lefties, Brady Aiken in 2014, Jason Groom in 2016. Uh, number twos, Carlos Rodon in 2014, Brendan McKay in 2017. Um, Mackenzie Gore, AJ Puck, number four, uh, Matt Libertor as well, number four overall. Asa Lacey was number three overall, uh, as was Danny Holson. Uh, any of these guys stand out to you as the best left-handed draft prospect dating back to 2011? At the time? Yep. You know, especially because the you know a good amount of high schoolers, it gets tough. But I think Brady Aiken, and obviously it's another example of a guy who, you know, arm issues like he never was able to be what people thought he would. But at the time that we ranked him that high, uh, he was he was the complete package in terms of size, stuff, feel for pitching. You know, there's always a risk with high school pitching, but people tend to be more comfortable with a lefty. There's a reason why he got taken number one overall, even though he didn't sign. Um, but, you know, he he was everything that teams wanted in a pitching prospect, uh, especially heading into that draft year. All right, and then in terms of left-handed pitching draft prospects of the past decade who have turned out to be the best in the big leagues, uh, I guess you're probably looking at Max Fried or Carlos Rodon. Uh, among, and this is just among top draft prospects. Uh, yeah, I, I gotta go with Max Freed. Carlos Rodon has been good. I mean, he's been very good, but I, I, I feel like, you know, Freed went, I'm looking here, Freed went two years earlier, but was at a high school. And obviously it took him a while to get going because he, Tommy John, he missed basically two years, uh, in the minors, you know, rehabbing. And he, he's just, now hitting his groove. Not that Carlos Rodon isn't good. I just think that, you know, Max Fried has been slightly better already and then would also be the answer to, like, the guy who I would take in the long term. All right. There is your 
draft prospect team of the decade, Adley Rutschman, Spencer Torkelson, Tamar Johnson, Chris Bryant, Bobby Witt Jr., Drew Jones, Dylan Cruz, Elijah Green over Byron Buxton, (laughs) Brady Aiken, and Hunter Green on the mound. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to be joined by the top high school prospect in the 2023 draft class. That's Max Clark. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast, everybody. Jason Ratliff and Jonathan Mayo here, and we are now very pleased to bring in our very special guest, Max Clark. Uh, Max is one of the top draft prospects in the upcoming 2023 draft. He is, uh, I think, the prohibitive uh, favorite to be the top high school uh, player chosen in the draft at this point. Of course, it's it's a long way away, but uh, has for a while had his name on the map as uh, one of, if not the top high school prospect in this draft class. And uh, Max, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. And, you know, I'm excited for these next six, seven months. So excited to see where things go. And I uh, appreciate the time, guys. Yeah, you know, I read somewhere that when you were five years old at school, you were asked to write down, you know, what you wanted to be when you grew up, and you wrote down MLB baseball player, which I think is probably not an entirely uncommon answer for a kid, <laughs> for a five-year-old kid. But you have uh, obviously stuck to that dream, and how exciting is it for you? Uh, you know, you're you're not quite at the doorstep of of being. A major league baseball player just yet but you are at the step of a, a very you know you're right at the doorstep of a very big uh part of that process how excited are you right now i'm a, like to be completely honest kind of going off what you were saying i'm it's so weird to look back at that you know five-year-old laminate piece of paper and think now we're almost there it feels like just you know just yesterday we were sitting in seventh grade PE or sixth grade art, like all of these things. And now you're a top rated MLB prospect and, you know, social media is crazy. All of these things. Like I'm so fortunate to have the opportunity that I do. And I'm like excited. Isn't even the right word. Like there are so many things that I just can't wait for the next six months, including baseball school, everything. Like it feels like it's a final chapter of everything that I've been working for. And then I just get to start a whole new book at, come July. So I'm super excited. Um, it's a very surreal feeling. Um, I've been blessed with a good community and a good support group. So they've definitely made it a lot easier and made it easier to not think about. Um, I feel like I've done a very, very solid job on just kind of living day by day. And um, it's making this whole thing a lot easier. I'll tell, definitely to say that. 
before we get too much further, did you say that you have that five-year letter that you wrote when you were five laminated? Did I hear you oh, correctly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a kindergarten project. Uh, it was like first day. And it had you like, it was like an all about me. It's, it's called an all about me poster. So it was like, you wrote down your like top five friends. You wrote down your favorite foods, your name, where you're from, um, what uh, preschool you went to. And then it had you write your like dream job. And mine is literally MLB baseball player. And like to this day, it's still the coolest thing to look back at. So. So I know, you know, we were saying before you started recording, you, you know, you live in a cold weather state. Uh, it's not typically known for baseball. You also <laughs> play football. So being a five-year-old and saying that, but as you continued that, like how many times did your friends or your football coaches or whoever, did, did people try to detract you from that, like to try to point you in a, in a direction that uh, made more sense to someone who lives in Indiana? I would honestly say no, just because it, it was a very young age when people noticed that I was a little more advanced in baseball than I was for the normal kid. So I always wanted to play baseball. Like, I mean, I always wanted to go to the cages. I had my mom, my mom throw to me in the backyard. I would have my dad throw to me in the backyard, had my brother take me to the cages when I got old enough, all of these things. Um, so I was actually very blessed to have like I said, that support group that would just push me to be the best version of myself inside of baseball. And then when it was time for football or basketball, they would be the same support group and push me in that sport. Um, and like, especially once I got into middle school and high school and the events picked up, I mean, my high school football coach was fantastic about my schedules. Like, I don't think a lot of kids can miss four games and then come back and play. You know what I mean? So this year and last year with Team USA, uh, he was fantastic and he understood and he's actually been a great guy to go to because he's our athlete. He's one of our athletic directors. So like he's just another sports minded guy who knows a lot about a lot of different things. And he's just been a great guy to go in and out of um, talking about little things here and there about the future. But all in all, I mean, they they noticed early that I had a chance to be a an advanced baseball player. And now we're here. And it's just, it was a great, great group to have all around in this community. So I was fortunate for that. And I'm glad no one steered me the other way. So uh, definitely glad about that. But I would say they were very, very good about it. Max, you, you said nobody steered you another way, but you are a proponent from what I've seen and read of, of playing multiple sports and not just specializing yes. in only baseball. Uh, you just wrapped up your senior football season. Is that right? Yep. How'd that go? Uh, this season was great for us. I mean, from an individual and a team standpoint, um, we had the most wins in like 30 years at our school. We had, it was our first sectional championship in 29 years, I think. Um, finished eight and three. Uh, let's see. I think I had 600 yards in five, uh, six games, uh, 25, 30 catches, a couple tutties. Um, but all in all, it was just a, like, I was more excited about football season because I knew it was going to be my last season where I got to play a sport with all of my friends, my closest friends. So, um, my, all of my like hometown best friends only play football. None of them play baseball. So it was really, really cool to just kind of get that one more year with your guys. And it was obviously a special team and people knew that we were going to be something special when we went, we went 18 and zero from sixth grade to eighth grade, um, in our football seasons. So this was kind of the high school year with that class of 2023 where we had something to do. We had uh, a team to do something special. 
And then we went out there and broke a few records and, you know, ended a few streaks. So we were super excited about that. And I had a, I had a blast. I mean, there's really nothing better than FNL in Indiana. So it was a blast, no doubt. But uh, now I'm just kind of looking forward to the off season and getting ready for 2023. As much fun as it is, do you breathe a sigh of relief that there were no (laughs) no football related injuries heading into uh, what will be a a pretty important uh, spring of baseball for you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, very thankful for that. And I know my parents are too, because I'm sure every time I got rocked coming across the middle, they just kind of said a little prayer. So um, definitely excited about not no injuries there. So I'm glad. I am a little glad that I don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, I wanted to go back a little bit, Max. You and I first met uh, at PDP League, you know, in person for, for the first time. Uh, and that was kind of the beginning-ish of what's generally known as the Summer Showcase Circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know from talking to you that you weren't thrilled how you swung the bat for, for, you know, large chunks of the summer. I mean, we checked in with each other and I know that you are someone who really studies hitting. Can you sort of take us through, you know, how you manage the frustration, but also how you just used it to, to try to get better, even if you weren't, you know, putting up the the numbers at these events that maybe some people were expecting the top high school player in the, in the country to put up. Yeah. And honestly, like you said, that was probably the worst and the most frustrating summer I've ever had in my life, but I'm honestly glad that I've had it now and I learned how to deal with it. Um, I was surrounded by a lot of, a lot of big league guys who have been there who did it um, for a long time. And I mean, it's really, really hard to be successful in the big leagues. So they had mentioned, you know, all of their struggles. And I, I was talking to Coach Kadire one time, and he gave us a speech about how in his first 67 at-bats, he went three for 67. And just listening to him talk about how he worked through failure and how he basically came out of the worst hitting slump in his entire life ever <laughs> and f- just f- figured it out. Um, we, there was a lot of talks about approach. Um, I felt like my approach was weak in the summer at times. And then – there was also the mechanical side as well. So I was, I was frustrated, but it was nice to be able to talk it out and figure out what was wrong, figure out ways to fix it. Um, and then talking about the mental side as well. So all of those things were huge and definitely kind of kept me in the zone while struggling. Um, I like towards the end of the summer, we started to figure some things out, um, and start hitting a little bit better. Like area code was great. Um, team USA was fun. I played pretty well there as well. Um, so as I hit the off season, at least I knew where to fix, what to fix, how to fix it. Um, and then I gained a little bit of mental strength by having the worst summer of my life. So Max, you've played PDP league in many showcases for team USA. How different is your approach or your mindset or just how different how different is the experience when you're in in those type of situations versus when you're playing for the uh franklin grizzly cubs for me i i don't look at it differently i mean i always want to go out there and just dominate um i've always been a guy who doesn't really i don't i don't believe in playing down to my competition i never want to play down to my competition um and honestly i want to go out there and go four for four every game so the mindset for me doesn't change whether I'm facing Sakura or whether I'm facing a Greenwood community high school arm. Um, it doesn't matter for me. So it's really nice to see both ends of the spectrum. And it's nice to have that summer where you're getting challenged 24 seven. 
but it's also nice when you have to challenge yourself in um, high school ball just because the arms are not as good. I mean, you have to like <laughs> it's a it's almost a little bit easier to predict and read a count in summer ball. Like if you know you're down your O2, like you never know and you know like a pitcher's tendencies. But then in high school, you're just trying to figure out tendencies that don't exist. So it can be a little uh, it can be a little difficult on that end. But it's a it's just a it's a it's a competitive thing for me. And I just do not look at the competition differently. I just want to go out there and dominate regardless. I would imagine you don't see a whole lot of fastballs in during your regular season. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so at least you're getting some experience with with softer stuff, even if it's not. A Travis Sakura, as you, you referenced, it's not an 89 mile an hour slider that you're seeing, but <laughs> you are seeing some off speed stuff. So at least there's that. Yeah, you get to see at least, I mean, you're going to see a lot of change. I see a lot of change ups and I see a lot of breaking balls. So it's nice to at least kind of get that like spring training feel of seeing, you know, a lesser, but still you still see the shape and the movement. Um, obviously, it's not at 89 miles an hour like Noble or Sakura, but it still gets the uh, the brain working a little bit. So I'm excited for this season, but we'll see how it goes. You know, I know, Max, you know, that uh, we we're talking about hitting and your approach and working that, but it, obviously that's not the only part of your game and that you were able to show off parts of that during the summer. Um, and, and then you kind of put it all together, you said, for, for Team USA. How important is it for you to show up every day not just showcase those things, but you know, helping your team win with how you run the bases, how you play the outfield, how you how you throw, although all those other parts of the game. I mean, I know everyone wants to talk hitting with you, uh, and for good reason. But it, you're not a you're not a, a, a one trick pony. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I feel like one of the biggest things about my game is people can count on me to show up and go one hundred and ten percent, regardless of what the situation is, how I'm playing that day. And I feel like that's another tool within itself is, you know, like I have a lot of passion in the game. So being able to show up at 8 a.m. and run a 4-0 or a 3-9 down the line and get a base knock on a weak single um, is a huge game changer and it can get some things going. Um, and like you said, I mean, I felt like I was I may not have hit the best that summer this past summer, but I did get to show off all five tools extremely well. Um, obviously, the power is the only one that's kind of probably in that average range but it's i know i can promise you it's coming and i think you've seen a little bit of the sneak peek of that um mm -hmm. with the stuff i've been sending you so there's been a lot of changes and um i'm just kind of quite honestly excited for people to see those come the spring um there's been a lot of you know hours spent in the cages um working on other tools in terms of you know how can we get a little bit more power in the swing what can we do to make it a little bit easier with the bat, a little bit more barrel control. Um, obviously, like that, that's a plus for me, barrel control and pitch recognition, but it's always nice to go back in and work on those and hone those in even more to where it's just going to make the game that much easier come the spring. And then another side is the weight room. I mean, I put in probably more work than anyone else in that weight room. I'm obsessed with it. So that's a whole nother side that just unlocks so many different opportunities for me. Um, and that's where a lot of the five tool aspect came from. So it's nice to be a, like you not a one trick pony. Like you said, it's uh it's definitely been an advantage to me because when I'm not playing my best game at the plate, I can go out and make a, you know, 60 foot, 80 foot throw and gun two kids and then go out there and run down a 80 foot ball to the wall. Like 
there are so many different aspects of my game that can help somebody win, even if I'm going one for three at the plate with a you know dinky single or something like that. That that brings to mind, Max. I was looking through. Uh, I was looking at your your tool grades. Uh, we in our new top 100 draft prospects list. Uh, we have your tool grades listed as 60 hit, 50 power, 70 run, 65 arm, and 60 field. And I went back through our draft prospect rankings of the past decade uh, in which we've been giving out tool grades to everybody on those lists. There's We've never had a player that has had those grades or higher in each category since uh, in the past decade. Um, even last year with a guy... Uh, like Jones, who has ridiculous tools across the board, um, he, he did not have the 60 hit tool. Uh, so I think that uh, speaks to exactly uh, what you're talking about there. But I know Jonathan said everybody wants to talk about hitting. Let's talk about some of the other tools. But let's talk about the hitting a little bit. You you mentioned that last year, last summer was uh, you know frustrating, one of the most difficult you've had. You said you've made some adjustments. I know you work with. Uh, Mike Shirley, who's the White Sox director of amateur scouting, uh, a lot. And mm. I'm kind of curious, you know, in addition to the hitting aspect of it, like how much of a benefit is is that to you for someone who clearly knows the ins and outs of the draft process? It is a ridiculous advantage. Um, I've been working with Mike since I was 13 years old. And looking at the progress that I've made from 13 to 18 is absolutely ridiculous. I give all of my credit to Mike. He's done phenomenal things for me and my swing. And he's also fantastic on the mental side of the game. I mean, he's played, he's been in scouting. He's been at the top of scouting. He's been everywhere in pro ball. Um, like there are so many advantages into being inside of a building like that. And it is, just, it's the biggest advantage that I've had in my entire career. Um, we've made huge jumps in my swing in literally the last three weeks, um, just from a mechanical standpoint, and then looking at where I was in the summer to three weeks, you can't even recognize the player that I am. Like I am such an advanced hitter that I was compared to June and July of 2022. And I, like I said, I'm really excited to get out there on a stage and show people this. Um, but there are just so many things that come out of that building that go directly into my swing. And being around a guy like that is just an absolute cheat code to be completely honest. Um, I'm like, it's a blessing to say the least because there are not a lot of kids who have an opportunity like that, but just the whole mental game on top of the mechanics is insane. Um, that dude can explain so many things through so many different languages. It's amazing. Did you reach out to him when they, uh, they weren't able to leap up in the draft lottery and they're picking 15th and said, sorry, I guess I won't be playing for you. Yes. Yeah, so we were, uh, we were texting back and forth when he was in uh, San Diego. And I was like, you know, you look good on TV. You might just get lucky. And then sure enough, the twins jump forward and he like, and they panned to him after the twins jump forward. And I just saw him shaking his head. And I sent him a text like, now, you know, you're not going to get that lucky draw. So we were laughing <laughs> back and forth and, he was, uh, he, he was, he's still happy with this position, but he, uh, he's definitely a little upset. They didn't get that bid. Yeah. It, uh, it was, it, it was tough for sure. For sure. The odds were not in his favor in, in this case. So yeah, uh, absolutely not. That's a very uh, low, low percentage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Max, I know you're a competitive guy and you know, you, you don't put too much stock into, you know, the lists that we do, but you pay attention to them. 
um, you know, and you're active on social media. Uh, you, you had a, a, an interesting emoji when our draft list <laughs> came out. So, you know, make the case for why without, you know, th- and I want people to know this is not um, Max Clark being full of himself and saying, I'm better than everyone. Uh, but, you know, what does it do when you see your name? Listen, you're six and you're the top high school hitter. So it's not like we, you know, you're not 35th. <laughs> but there was a part of you that clearly was like, all right, well, now I need to go out and show that I belong higher on the list. That's kind of, it fuels you a little bit. Yeah. Um, like you said, that's an absolute flame. Uh, I like, like you said, I love competition. So, um, I mean, full respect to Dylan Cruz and Chase. They are insane. I mean, there's no, there is no part of me who thinks that they don't deserve what they have. And Wyatt, Paul, and Jacob, I mean, they're they're fairly respected players and they deserve to be where they are too. But I can promise you come June or July 2023, that list is going to look different. Um, there is no, I, I feel like I can say this with confidence, and like you just said with the last decade, there is no five-tool player right now. And I feel like I make a very strong case with five tools. Um, I don't, I don't see how people can pass up someone who can put in the amount of work that I do, who already has the tools advanced as they are. Um, I mean, I'm continuously working each and every day to better those tools and in no way am I comfortable. So it's nice to have that little, you know, little jab of six. I mean, definitely, I'm definitely happy with the position, but I know it's a little, uh, it's a little low for how I feel and it's just going to continue to fuel me as I go. Um, I think that the less that you have to teach a person once they get to pro ball or college is, is definitely worth paying for. And it's, it's a lot easier when five tools are already graded at average or above and four of them are plus. So I am, I'm a little, I'm a little flared by that. I'll go with that, but um, I think come come the spring, it's going to be a little different. Let's we'll leave it at that. G- given what you know, we talked about in terms of, and I don't want to. I feel like we're sitting here, is kind of disparaging Indiana high school baseball, but obviously <laughs> it's a different it's, it's a different level, and it's it, you know it's it's harder to show what you can do against really good competition when the competition you're facing isn't what you faced over the summer, isn't what you're going to face in pro ball. And that is, after all, what scouts are trying to project, what you're going to do at the next level. You know, I've been doing this long enough where I've gone to see guys in high school against, you know, not great competition because it's just not the right area of the country. And it it gets hard to uh, evaluate. How are you going to be able to prove to the, you know, let's say the teams in the top 10, you know, um, that you, that you belong there, knowing that your ability to turn around, a, a you know, an Indiana high school fastball is not going to move the needle. I think the line is going to be between success and total domination. Um, I'm coming into this season with the most ridiculous mindset of what I want to do for this season personally. And when I go out there, I have zero plans other than to dominate and completely just just ruin someone's day um whoever's on the mound that day so i think a lot of it is also going to be you know making the spectacular plays in the outfield um showing off some more tools you know we have those we have those bp sessions before the game on the field we have those in and out sessions to show off the arm i mean 
the tools are there. It's very clear by now. It's just how bad can you dominate on somebody? Um, and I plan on going out there and trying to go for four, literally every single game. Like, obviously that's not going to happen. That's not realistic, but that's my mindset. I, I don't want to get out. I n- literally never want to get out and I want to finish the year with zero strikeouts. I mean, last year I had two and they were both looking. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, take the walks when they come hit the balls far when they miss inside and then do what we can and hit some doubles and triples. So, um, I think the biggest, the biggest piece is going to be that extra base hit factor. I mean, nobody wants to go to, like you said, it's not the best competition. So four singles is great. It's four hits, but like people want to see you drive a ball in a gap, go deep, you know, run the bases, things like that. So, um, it's really going to be an extra base hit factor for me, finding gaps, hitting balls over people's heads on a line, um, turning doubles into triples and turning singles into doubles. So it's, it's definitely different. I mean, Indiana high school baseball is okay. And I mean, we do play our fair share of good competition. Like we'll see a couple 88 91s and we'll see a couple 90 94s, but most of it's going to be that mid eighties. So it's just gotta, you just gotta go out there and dominate to be quite honest. As I mentioned, Max, you know, you're, you're active on social media and you're going to be giving people uh, an inside view of what you do to prepare. Tell us a little bit about this behind the scenes project that, uh, that you're working on that's coming out, you know, virtually as, as we're talking here. Yeah. So uh, PBR and my videographer who actually goes to my school, we're working on a little bit of a day in the life scenes. Um, and it's going to be basically an entire capture of what i am doing to get ready for the 2023 draft as well as my days in and out of school my days in and out of like things like this like um you know the the random calls the uh the podcast the meetings um and then the other side will be the actual game aspect so there will be a videographer at every game capturing the games um it's just going to be a little bit of what i did last season on youtube except it's going to be way more episodes and I guess, and way more um, in depth. So uh, basically it's a full behind the scenes of what I'm doing each and every day to get ready for the draft. Last thing I wanted to ask you, Max is, you know, with all of this and you know, you handle yourself so well, and it seems that you kind of know where the, where the line is between, you know, not afraid to be confident. You're not afraid to kind of promote, yourself uh you have a little flair when you play you know which a lot of people love but as you saw you know at times over the summer on uh, on twitter like it can rub people the wrong way who don't know what's going on or what you know it's having how do you make sure that you stay on the right line of that in terms of kind of respecting the game respecting the you know the the big leaguers or the elders that are there but also being you i think that being you is like the biggest part of it um like obviously you can't make everybody happy and that's what i've learned throughout this entire process of having social media and having the following that i do um you you can't make everyone happy so it's really really hard to have a following like like i do when you're not being transparent and you're not being yourself um i've taken a lot of time to kind of read the ins and outs and figure out really how to run a brand And I think it's like, I officially have a brand of myself. I mean, there are a lot of kids who look up to me as a role model and that's a fantastic feeling. And I feel like I do a very good job of getting back to everyone who has questions or anybody who has a comment, um, positive or negative. And if people have a question on why I'm doing something like 
I'm a very, I can answer very professionally without sounding like, you know, the arrogant 17 year old who has lots of followers. Like I feel like I take a very professional approach to my social media and I feel like I am very advanced in the point where I can handle things at a professional level. Um, I think there were times last year where people were getting upset, but it's like nobody know. I mean, I think we're all aware of we're referencing the Canada home run against with team USA. So like nobody other than me and my family knows what that moment was like for me. I mean, I was cut from the 15 U team. I got COVID the 17 U team. And then I finally got the chance. And in the biggest moment of the game, you go deep. Like, it was not about me at that point. You're right. And that, that wasn't a, like the celebration wasn't about me at all. Like we're pounding the USA in our chest. We had three other guys do the same like celebration, but of course mine's the one that ends up on social media and I'm the one that gets bashed, but like, it's okay. I mean, I, I'm not going to let that affect me or who I am. I mean, when you tie a home run, when you have a game tying home run against Canada, when Canada is doing nothing but chirping at your entire team, it, it's a pretty good feeling to be completely honest. Like that's amazing. And that was a focal point in the entire game. And I'm going to continue to have energy and passion in whatever I do. Um, people kind of mix up arrogance and passion. I mean, it's just when people are having fun playing the game and a big moment happens, the floodgate of emotion is going to come out. So if you can't have emotion and passion when you're playing, then you should not be playing. Um, it's about having fun and it's about representing someone bigger than yourself. So um, that was a big moment for the United States. And that's how I, that's how I promoted the United States, I guess. Hey, Max, thank you so much for joining us. Happy holidays. You're in Indiana, outside of Indianapolis. Yep. And speaking of the holidays, and we talked before we started, it's very cold there. <laughs> have you have you been to Santa Claus, Indiana? I, I have not. I've never been to Santa Claus, Indiana. I've never been to Holiday World either. It's uh, it's it's definitely something I need to do. Everybody says it's cool and it's a nice little experience, but I think I like miss the prime age group. So I'm just gonna have to be like the weird 18 year old who like visits Santa Claus one time just to say he went to Santa Claus. Or like if I have kids like later in life, I'm just gonna have to go down and like say I went to Santa Claus, Indiana. That way I'm officially a holiday world expert. There you go. Well, I know you, you said you're you're coming here to New York City to spend the ho- some some of your holiday time here. So I- enjoy that as well. And, yep. and thank you very much again for joining us. Uh, that's Max Clark. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, more on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis. We're going to wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. This one comes from Patrick Ian. How do you think this last name is pronounced, Jonathan? Pickle? Pickle. Pickle. Uh, 
Twitter handle at pro for pro 32 pro number four pro number three number two can you see the a's take jake geloff with their pick number 38 or number 40 would he still be available do you think that he will have a better career than his older brother zach what are their differences and similarities i'd love to see zach at second base and jake at third slash first in oakland in 2026 that would be fun the brothers geloff that just has a nice uh kind of a nice overall ring to it I, I think that you know, as of right now, you know, based on where we uh, where we have Geloff, uh, the, the younger Geloff, we have him at thirty eight on our list, so that's right around where he probably belongs. He's I don't want to call him polarizing uh, because he performed coming off a huge sophomore year. Um, there's a lot of holes in his swing. There's swing and miss concerns. He's a little bit of an all-or-nothing swinger, but he's made a lot of contact. You know, at least he did as a sophomore. Uh, he, he wasn't as good over the summer, and I think that he's going to have to prove that it works again. You know, he's at Virginia. He's playing against good competition. It's not easy to hit for power there. So the raw power is legitimate. Um, their jury's out whether or not he can stick at third. Some think he'll be fine. Some think he moves over to first. Um, his brother... You know, Zach, who is, you know, in, in our top 100, um, you know, had a, a good first full year, saw him in the fall league. He has got a chance to hit and with some power also, but I think he may have a better chance to hit and he's more athletic. Um, you know, he's played third, he, he can play second base, he's even played a little bit of the outfield. Um, so that's the main difference. He, you know, he's a plus runner who can help you know, on the base pass and and maybe play multiple positions. You know, while his older brother's really a, a power first kind of kind of guy. But I could I could see that now. I think if Jake absolutely goes off, uh, he doesn't make it to those, you know, the, to the comp round picks or the second round. He goes he goes in the first round because a college power bat that performs two years in a row. At Virginia, those guys go in the first round. All right. Thank you very much, Patrick, for that question. And thanks very much to Max Clark for joining us on the show today. And thanks to all of you for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. That's going to do it for this year's MLB Pipeline Podcast. We will see everybody in the new year. Happy holidays. Don't forget, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you in 2023.